It's a beautiful day to say what you need to say. It's a beautiful day to say what you need to say. Yeah. And I can lead the way. Hey there, welcome to Time Out with Ty, the less official podcast of Behind the Buck Pass. We're here for episode 16, and I have a repeat guest, but with a new title now. I'd like to officially welcome the newest Portland Trailblazers lead contributor at HoopsHabit.com, Duncan Smith, to the show. How you doing, Duncan? I'm doing pretty good, Ty. How about yourself? Uh, I'm doing I'm doing okay. Uh, both of our teams that we are covering basically lost tonight. Uh, I guess the Trailblazers one was a bit more heart heartbreaking than the Bucks' pretty standard defeat at the hands of Boston. <laughs> yeah, uh, I did not see the second half of um of this Blazers game developing quite the way it did. Yeah, for anyone who doesn't follow the NBA as much, the Blazers were up by like eighteen or something like that at the half, and ended up losing by like seven or something like I, I'm guesstimating. But to the Rockets, they they looked so they looked like they won after 24 minutes, and they did not win after 48. Yeah, they were up 21 points. I forget if it was late in the second or early in the third, and they ended up losing by 14 points. They lost 119 to 105. Oh. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, the Rockets outscored them 70 to 41 in the second half. Yikes! That oh. Wow. Right. <laughs> James Harden woke up. Yeah, did he ever. We'll get right back to Portland. I just want to cover Milwaukee quickly first because this is a behind-the-buck pass presentation. <laughs> when you look at the Bucks, do you see a team closer to the lottery or closer to the playoffs? I certainly see a team closer to the lottery right now. Um, they are – I'm looking at the standings. I'm not sure if they've updated. They probably haven't um, on the – the site that I'm using here, but I've got the Bucks at 24 and 34, which has them six games behind the Hornets for the eighth seed. And if that doesn't if that doesn't count the loss tonight, then they're actually six and a half games behind the Hornets. Yeah, uh, I don't I don't see this team having the the guns to to make that run and getting past the Magic, who seem to want to win. Um, the Wizards, who I think are intending to try and make the playoffs, and the Pistons, who I still think are going to get into the at least the, the lower three seeds, probably. Uh, I don't see them making a run. I think that they might want to just accept their fate as a lottery team and start planning for the draft, to be honest. Yeah, we are in 100% agreement there. Um, they, they've looked a little better over the past week or two, the Bucks have. But I mean, just just don't get your hopes up, Bucks fans. They're not gonna make the playoffs. Like Duncan so eloquently said, they're six six and a half games back of the eighth seed. I mean, the the Bucks are the the schedule's light. I wrote about that the other day. It's not a hard schedule. A lot of home games, but they'd probably have to win like I don't know twenty two of their last twenty six or something. They don't even have twenty six left now. But they they could only lose a handful of times if they wanted to make the playoffs. This team's not good enough to lose a handful of times. It's good enough to win a handful of times, which is why they're currently where they are in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, if they were to, I assume that the 500 mark is going to probably be the uh, the get in or or don't yeah. get in, and 
they're 24 and I, I think it's probably 24 and 35. They would need to go 17 and 6 to hit 500. So I don't think this is a team that can go on a run like that. Yeah, I don't either. And I mean, you look at it right now. Right now, the Pistons are 500 and they're ninth. I and mean, they're probably going to be better than that. Yeah. So if they'd have to w- win 20 of their last however many games, I mean, I just, I don't see it at all. So, I mean, I, I wrote a draft profile on Denzel Valentine today. Um, uh, I wrote Washington at one point in the piece and a reader called me out on it because it's just, it's been one of those days for me. I wrote a basketball <laughs> article about Denzel Washington. Yep. <laughs> but uh we can get excited about these kind of guys. Don't get excited about the playoffs. I don't want to hear about the playoffs anymore. It's not happening. Like the Wizards and Pistons are like struggling right now and they're still like pretty much clearly better than the Bucks are. Yeah, and I think at least one of those teams is going to get it together. Um yeah. I guess maybe the Bulls would probably be my favorite to drop out. I forget what uh Jimmy Butler's timetable for return is, but I think he's got a while yet. Um, and they haven't been good without him. No, so I figured the Bulls, right? Yeah, I figured the Bulls probably drop out, and then the Hawks, Hornets, and Pistons all make it. Yeah, um, and that's probably how the like the bottom three end up shaping up. Honestly, the Heat could end up in that bottom three mix too if Bosch remains out, which is very possible. That's true too. Yeah, there's there's only three and a half games separating the Heat, who are in fourth, from the Pistons in ninth. And yeah, I could I could definitely see the Heat sliding considerably. I mean, if you look at I wrote about this for Hoops Habit the other day. Miami's situation right now is terrible because they traded away guys at the deadline just to get below the tax line, which they did. So their roster is currently at thirteen players. Three of those players are probably out for the rest of the year in Bosch, Tyler Johnson, and Ben Oudra. So they have 10 guys, and one of them is Dwayne Wade, who's played like 40 minutes in a, a game or two recently. Like, he can't do that. No. He won't stay healthy if he has to do that. So, I mean, then if he gets hurt, you're looking at you have nine players. And if they want to stay below the tax line, they can't sign a guy for the rest of the season until March 6th. So it's like it's gonna be it's hard to win games if you only have ten guys in the regular season. Like yeah. you can't just go to an eight man rotation, especially if you have Dwayne Wade and he's the best player on your team. Like he can't play that much. Yeah, their margin for error is very, very thin. And like you said, like if they can't add anybody for we're looking at almost two weeks, yeah. week and a half, two weeks. The, the end of February kind of throws me off because I see it's the twenty sixth now. You know, it's a leap year, right? <laughs> um yeah, so I mean they've They've got to make it that long with, like you said, a rotation of nine or ten guys. And if anything goes wrong with any of those core guys, you can more or less, you can pretty much chalk them up for, at best, like a very, very low playoff seed, if not just completely missing it. That's like the sad thing about how bad the Bucks have been, because the East has been good, but they're, they're like you could get a spot if you're a decent team. Like, the Wizards started so horribly, and they're still in play for a spot. Yeah. They've never even really turned it around. They've just kind of cruised along and more or less just maintained, like, between, what, I guess, three and six games below 500. They're four games below right now, and they're only three games out, it looks like. Yeah, three games out. You know, they've only gone five and five in their last ten, and yet they're still pretty much right there, nipping at uh, the toes of... Whoever ends up falling out of the uh, bottom half. 
Yeah. I mean, now that they have uh, Markeith Morris, John Wall, if Brad Beal ever gets healthy, they they have uh, some dangerous pieces. Uh, do you feel like the top of the East is like still pretty weak? I feel like after Toronto, it's like the Celtics should not be a third seed. I think that the Cavs and the, and the Raptors are right exactly where they deserve to be. But yeah. I agree that the Celtics I still – I'm kind of getting – why they're good. I think they have uh, some of that positional fluidity that I think we might have talked about last time when we were talking yeah. about the Warriors. Um, I think that is a humongous asset. And of course, Brad Stevens is just, you know, there's very little out there to parallel him as a head coach. Um, so I don't, I no longer think that the Celtics are smoke and mirrors to get where they are. Um, but I also, I'm not sure that they're, you know, what they're probably on pace for like 55, 52, 55 wins. Um, somewhere in that range. Yeah, uh, I didn't see them being a fifty-win team this year. I'm still am like kind of in awe of the fact that they're probably going to get there. Um, but below that, like I could see any of the Heat, the Pacers, the Bulls, the Hawks, the Hornets, the Pistons. I could see any of those teams missing the playoffs. Maybe a couple of those teams missing the playoffs, and it wouldn't be a huge shock. Um, some of those teams more than others. I'd be surprised to see the Hawks miss the playoffs. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Bulls miss the playoffs. Um, but, like, I mean, that's six teams within a three-and-a-half-game stretch. Like, a, a three-and-a-half-game gap in the standings. Um, it's still pretty razor-thin in there. Yeah, I mean, it's like the Bulls and the Hawks really are the two teams that I expected to be around that third and fourth seed because, I mean, they're both super experienced. They've both been in the playoffs for, like, consecutive years going back a pretty long way. Both of those teams have been playoff staples for a while now. Yeah, either one of them could miss, or maybe even both. And it's it's very possible right now. Neither of those teams has looked good. No. Um uh, and the Hawks have been very streaky. I remember they yeah. had a they started off kinda of rough and then they won like eight in a row, I think, in uh in November. Something along those lines, seven out of eight maybe. And um that kind of confirmed to me. I think I had the Cavs being first, the Bulls being second, and the Hawks being third in the East in my uh, my preseason predictions on Piston powered. Um, and like obviously that's not going to happen. The Hawks haven't even really been especially injury bitten. I think they just haven't really gotten it going. I, I could be completely drawing a blank. Um, I haven't followed the Hawks all that closely this year, but I don't think that they've really had significant injury issues. I think they just had a little bit of uh, attrition from last year with Demari Carroll going. And they just haven't really gotten it going. And, of course, we know the struggles with the Bulls. Yeah. They, I mean, everyone's hurt on that team, which is what happens when you, you just don't have a real rotation, which the Bulls really don't have. Uh, outside of losing Tiago Splitter, I don't think there's been many injury problems in Atlanta. Uh, they just haven't looked like they did last year. They won 60 games last season. They're not going to get close to that this year. Nope. No, I think they definitely ran on sort of the they ran hot on the the variant spectrum last year, and I think they maybe have returned to a normal, regressed to the mean a little bit, if you will, this year. Which yeah, is too bad because when they were rolling last year at the seventeen wins in a row or whatever, they were so much fun to watch. Uh, they, I went to, they were rolling around the same time the Pistons got rolling after waving Josh Smith last year, and I saw the Hawks play the Pistons at the Palace. And yeah, the Pistons almost pulled it off. They uh, they were a KCP buzzer beating three away from 
actually pulling off a big comeback win, as I recall. But, I mean, the Hawks were a lot of fun that night. Their defense was good. Their ball movement was phenomenal. And um, I, I had hoped to see more of that from the Hawks this year. But I think they, uh, they just haven't run quite as hot this year as they did last year. And things just haven't gone quite as well, obviously. Yeah, the the streakiness, like you said, is definitely there. They, they're currently on the second longest losing streak in the East. Only the 76ers, who have lost six straight, have lost more than the Hawks, who dropped three games in a row. We yeah, summed up... A... No, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, that's not really company you want to be in. With all no, due respect to our Sixers not. friends. Yeah, they're my, I, I, don't, I disagree with their team's methods. Um, but, I, yeah, I love those guys. They're great. Shout yeah. out to Josh and Georgie. Um, hey, Josh. Hey, Georgie. Let's flip um, over to the West now. I want to get to the Trailblazers. Um, just one thing that caught my eye. I flipped. I'm just on the Google NBA standings. So I clicked on Western Conference because I was looking at the last 10. Suns 0-10 over the last 10, lost 13 in a row. They are a disaster. I'm um, giving them the, the Supernova's name back. I, I took it away when they got rid of Morris, but this is horrible. Yeah. Um, they are just incredible. I have I honestly can say that I don't think that I've watched a single Suns game this year other than uh, when they played the Pistons in November. Um, and now that's a badge of honor for me. I, I, I have no desire to watch that train wreck. I feel bad for, uh, Mike Dunlap and Gerald from Hoops Habit. Yeah. Yeah. I do too, that they have to sit through this. You know what the last Suns game I watched was? You're not going to believe that I actually watched this. Oh boy. Uh, hang on. Let me guess. It was um, a, it was an earlier iteration of what happened tonight. Oh, was it the Pistons? No, they played the Nets tonight. Oh, okay. I, I was I was making a I was thinking about the the Portland game again. Oh yeah. When the, when the Pistons and the Suns played, they uh, the Pistons did to the Suns what the Rockets did to oh. the Blazers. I mean, anyone can do that to the Suns. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> the, I mean, it's I, I was I was writing about Jarrett Jack, so I watched Suns Nets, and it was just like, ugh, this is gross. I don't know who I think the Nets actually yeah the Nets stomped the Suns tonight if I remember right which is like how are the Nets stomping anyone like who do they even have? Brooke Lopez scored ninety I don't know <laughs> yeah I have no idea even how that happened I remember seeing the score it was in the third quarter and Brooklyn was up like twenty and just so much sadness over there Jeff Hornacek should be thrilled that he doesn't have to deal with those people those uh, that organization right now. Yeah, seriously. They, they waited way too long to get rid of Markeith Morris. But if you go up from 14, which is where the Suns are, that's how bad the Lakers are. The Suns lost 13 in a row, and they still have three and a half games on the Lakers. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, come on. The Lakers are 42 games back of the Warriors right now. There's a crazy number. That's They're half, half a season, more than half a season. In just 59 games. That's staggering, isn't it? That's, I mean, 52 and 5. No, like, we, no one's literally ever seen this before. This is the no. best start. I mean, I love when they do those pointless stats. Like, it's the best start through 57 games. Like, okay, if, if they haven't lost in a while, it's obviously going to be the best start through that many games every time they win. Like, it you is. don't need to tell us every time, but it's, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's fun to see that, that, uh, that chart go up, though. Seeing yeah, just it's... how incredible the start is in comparison to, um, in comparison to, you know, the Bulls, the, the 96 Bulls are, like, obviously the only comparison. 
Um, but seeing them go like game by game, blow by blow, it's it's, it's incredible. A lot of people are kind of salty about it. I'm embracing it. I just gave up on uh, my team winning a championship as long as Steph is in his prime. Are you ready for this uh, this Steph Curry stat that someone posted on Reddit? Oh, let's hear it. Here, let me give the guy credit. I'll be like Bill Simmons. This is from <laughs> ha- Haru Soul on NBA Reddit. My voice cracked at the beginning there. <laughs> he says, more crazy Curry stats. From 28 feet to 50 feet. Curry is 35 of 52 this season. Oh, I saw that tonight. What that's, in the world, eh? That's more efficient than if you make 100% of your twos. That's absolutely incredible. So right now, Steph from 28 out is more efficient like, if you let him shoot from there than just letting him do a layup. Like, it's better for your team, like, by the math, if you just let him do a layup rather than let him shoot there. That's ridiculous. It's amazing how much merit there is to actually just fouling him whenever you're in the penalty. Yeah, it's it's like I mean, and the, it's funny because he's like a ninety percent free throw shooter, but yeah. it's like statistically you give up less than if you let him. It's just unfair. It's literally unfair. Like actually yielding, um, yeah, like if he's shooting ninety percent, I mean that works out to what about one hundred and eighty points for one hundred possessions, and that still ends up being right around break even to letting him shoot from 24 plus feet. Unbelievable. It's just, it's just dumb. It's like the, this is one of my favorite articles I saw the other day was um the, the, the 2k game. I, I sounded so old when I said it like that. The 2k <laughs> game. Um, get off my lawn. Yeah. Get off my lawn. I'm playing the 2k game. Like people are mad at 2k because they like, cause Steph isn't good enough on 2k. It's true. I, I kind of don't like using the Warriors on 2K because you can't use Steph like you like he actually would be in the game. But at the same time, like how exactly do you modify that if you're the the game designers? You know, because I remember uh, Madden in 04, I guess it was when Mike Vick was essentially a cheat code. Yeah, like, I remember that. Back, I and then he would just outrun everybody. Like, yeah, he was completely unstoppable. And like the thing is, if you give Steph range out to 45 feet, then he's, you know, everybody's just going to give Steph the ball all game long and the Warriors are going to score 180 points. And, you know, that kind of, now the game's broken because Steph Curry, the real life person, real life player is so good that you can't mimic that in the virtual world, in the video game, without completely ruining the entire game. Yeah. That's unreal. It's gotten to the point where if you do a fantasy draft, Steph goes first now, not like LeBron or Anthony Davis or anybody. And it was funny because the last one I did, the Spurs got him. And you're just like, oh, come on. Really? <laughs> Here we go this. again. I, I just turned off my PS4. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm never winning anything. Exit out. Do not save. Try again. Yeah, just keep going until I get the first pick. We're, we're so far off topic, which always happens here. Trailblazers. It, Trailblazers. It Trailblazers. <laughs> Tell me about Portland. Explain to me why I like Portland so much. Why do you like Portland? If you do, I, maybe you don't. I like Portland quite a bit. Um, they are not at all what they were expected to be. Um, I dig the fact that they were expected to be a lottery team. They were probably expected to be maybe not what the Suns are, but maybe what the Timberwolves are in the standings right now. Um, in my 
in my mind at least. Uh, I don't think we realized just how good Dame Lillard was before the season started. Uh, we've gotten a taste of that this year. Uh, I don't think that we realized quite how good Terry Stotts was before this season began. Um, but I think a lot of a big part of why the Blazers haven't rolled over and played dead like everybody expected them to has been that um, more or less Stotts and his game planning hasn't really allowed for it. Um, I I forget which podcast I was listening to. Uh, might have been Dunk Don, might have been um, B-Ball Breakdown, but one of those. Um, and they were they were talking about how the Blazers kind of have a, a Dallas Mavericks esque kind of uh, vibe to them, um, and that Carlisle can Rick Carlisle, uh, Mavs head coach, can sort of make something out of nothing in a way. I mean, Carlisle's had some pretty talented teams over the years, but there are also there's also been times when like it's been Dirk and a bunch of role guys surrounding him. That said, that's probably been most of it. I mean, who's the best teammate Dirk's ever had? Jason Kidd? Maybe Jason Kidd. Um, like, really, there's not. There's never really been, like, a second, like, star besides Kidd there. No. Steve Nash wasn't Steve Nash yet. No. And, I mean, Tyson Chandler, okay, like, what? Did he yeah. get a defensive player of the year? But, I mean, even if he's not a star. It's not yeah. like he's not. He was never Shaq. He was never Orlando Dwight. So No. Definitely he hasn't had, like, a... A legitimate uh, Robin to his Batman, if you will. You know, like right. he's. It's pretty much been one star, and like there's there hasn't been like a big three kind of thing around him, to the best of my recollection. Which is kind of um, it's kind of one of the things that a team tries to to provide for them for themselves if they're trying to make a run for it. You know, like um, Miami had LeBron, D Wade, and and Bosch, and further back, like. The New Jersey Nets had Jason Kidd and Richard Jefferson and Vince Carter. Um, you know, like the big three. The Spurs have had that trio for well over for 10 years ever. now. Yeah. Um, and before that, they had the Admiral too. And it's just, it's always been unfair. Yeah. And like the Mavs have never really had that sort of three man core. No, it's really, it's been, it's been, uh, I almost said Duncan. It's been Dirk and just a bunch of guys for a long time. More, more or less. Yeah. And so I kind of equate. Uh, I can't say that I equate because I, you know, this is something that I thought of after listening to this podcast, and I wish I could remember who exactly it was because it was, it was, uh, it was eye opening, and I quickly agreed with it because I have in the last like forty eight, seventy two hours or whatever it's been that I've been digging into the Blazers, I've been trying to figure out what is making this team that shouldn't be any good so good, um, like, you know, usually the best team wins on any given night in the NBA. Um, but the Blazers are probably not the best team. Uh, thirty of the twenty, thirty of the fifty-eight games that they've played this year. So where does that edge come from? I feel like it probably comes from the head coaching position. Um, and in the the piece that I wrote uh, this morning or last night, I suppose, for Hoops Habit, um, I kind of broke down one thing in particular that I noticed that the Blazers were doing a bit differently. Um, and that was selling out hard for offensive rebounds. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I think at least uh, coming into tonight, they were third in the NBA on offensive rebounds, but they don't have any one guy who's just like 
crushing the boards. Like they don't have an Andre Drummond who, you know, is just like a vacuum when it comes to offensive rebounds. Um, they don't have an Enos Cantor or Serge Ibaka. Like those are the the uh, the warrior the the Warriors. It always comes back to the Warriors. Yeah, the Pistons really and the Thunder. Does. Yeah, the, the Pistons and the Thunder are the the two teams that are ahead of the Blazers. Um, I mean, they have like some built-in rebounding machines, and other than like Ed Davis, like the Blazers don't really have any guys that are just like rebounding beasts. And yet they're third in the NBA in offensive rebounding. So everybody's chipping in on the boards pretty much. And I think that's sort of a method of maximizing your offensive possessions. And I think that that's something that they're doing by design in order to reduce the talent advantage that most of it, maybe not most of the teams, but all the good teams and some of the more mediocre teams have on the Blazers. Because once you get past uh, Lillard and McCollum, um, as I mentioned in that in that piece last night, once you get past Lillard and McCollum, there's like no top end talent on the team whatsoever. Um, I yeah, don't think anybody's averaging more than 11 points per game once you get past uh, Dame and uh, CJ. And they are making it work. They are, you know, 30 and 28 tonight, notwithstanding. Um, I still think they're a playoff team. And I think that. Uh, I think the Terry Stotts and obviously Lillard has been playing his playing out of his mind, uh, particularly the last few weeks. And I think that those two in particular, those two guys in particular, are the reason that the Blazers pulling off this, uh, this fairly impressive feat that they are to ha- to be where they are right now in the standings. Yeah, they they have a path to the second round this year, which is crazy because they look like everyone thought they were going to be bad. I'll I'll say one of the few uh, wins I got in predicting this season was I I always thought the the Blazers would be like a low playoff seed mm-hmm. because I always like Stotts and I like Dame a lot and they have a lot of fun pieces Al Farouk Aminu Myers Leonard a bunch of different guys Mo Harkless too who had a really good game tonight which is yeah. last night when you hear this um, I also took massive L's in thinking that the Rockets would be first in the West and the Wizards would win like 55 games. <laughs> um, so we'll just, we'll just skip over that part for now. Yeah, that never happened. <laughs> that never happened. Outside of the big three in the West, which is the Warriors, Spurs, and Thunder, the three best teams in the West and the NBA, I think it's pretty easy to say. Yes. No West team besides those three has more wins against the Western Conference than the Trailblazers, who are 23 and 15 against Western Conference teams. If they can leapfrog the Grizzlies and play the Clippers in round one, the potentially Blakeless Cripper, yeah, I said Crippers, <laughs> um, little little gang thing there. Little no, the the, the the Los Angeles Clippers. It's topical after all. Yeah, it is LA. Um, yeah, but if the Blazers can get the Clippers, I mean, I think that's a winnable series for them if the Clippers don't have Blake. Yeah, I agree with that as well. Um, when the Blazers get hot, they get really hot, like. Ask yeah. the Warriors about that, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's not something you can count on, especially in a playoff series. But in this podcast, which I swear to God, I cannot remember what it was. <laughs> one of the things that came up when they're talking about the, the Blazers is that maybe with the exception of the Warriors, who I don't think really care who they play. Yeah. Nobody's probably going to want anything to do with the Blazers because, again, they, they can get so unbelievably hot. Um, the parallel was drawn between the Blazers and the, uh, I guess it was the 06 Warriors, um, who 
just beat the hell out of the 67 and 15 Dallas Mavericks. Um, the Blazers do have kind of a feel like that. You know, they've got the swagger. They're young. Um, you could call them like too too young, too too dumb to realize. Not to say that they're dumb, but right, right. The parallel draws. You know, like they are too young to realize that they shouldn't be where they're at. And when you when you don't sort of know or care about your place in the hierarchy, um, I think that you can sort of supersede where you can be just by virtue of the fact that they already they know they have nothing to lose. They know they're supposed to be a garbage team. They know everybody was supposed to beat them. Um, so they're kind of they. I imagine more than any team in the NBA right now, they probably feel like they're playing with house money. You know, like they're just free rolling the season. And if somebody if somebody gets them when they finally, you know get knocked out of the playoffs or get the beat down that eventually they're almost certainly going to get, whether they end up facing the Spurs, Warriors, Thunder, if the Clippers get hot against them or whatever. Um, when that happens, that's cool. It's pretty much inevitable, but they're going to, they're going to do some damage along the way. Yeah. I mean, I think that right now, just looking at the West, I think like you said, exactly. No one wants to run. I mean, the Warriors really don't care. Yep. But nobody wants to run into the Trailblazers. I mean, the Trailblazers did beat the crap out of the Warriors like a week ago. Yeah, um, I think that, Warriors, I mean, that was that was Dame going crazy though. Yeah, I think the Warriors not, beat him by fifty next time. To be honest, yeah, so. that, I think I think I mean Dame can't do that for four games in a seven game series. It's, it's no. not doable. Their their team isn't good enough to challenge the Warriors. That's fine. And Golden I think State the, definitely takes notes. You know, they oh yeah, they remember who does stuff to them, and they. Uh, it's uh, it's not going to be pretty the next time those two those two teams play. I will say after the Bucks beat them in Milwaukee, they gave the Dubs a run for their money in Golden State. They did. That amazed me. I once again I thought that was going to be a fifty point win for the Warriors, and yeah, I did too. I didn't see the way it went. I thought they both were going to be fifty point wins. Something about the Bucks' <laughs> length, the Warriors do not like at all. It yeah. messes with their passing. They don't like it. Um, yeah, it's harder to move the ball against them than a, a more standard positional positional team that does, they can't move around defensively like they do. Yeah. Um, what was I? Oh, the the Grizzlies are going to be meat. Whoever gets the Grizzlies is happy because that's yes. going to be an easy win. Because I mean, without Marcus All, I mean, you're talking best players. Mike Conley, second best player is ah, I don't even Lance. No, not Lance. Zach Randolph, maybe? Um, I guess Zebo, yeah. Tony Allen? That's not, if that's your second best guy in 2016, you're not going to the second round. I'm sorry, Grizzlies fans. I'm trying to think. The Grizzlies are not a team that I've watched much of, but I'm trying to think how much time on the floor Tony Allen has really, uh, has really gotten this season. I think he gets a fair amount, but you could tell me he gets two minutes a game. I, I really don't know. Yeah, um, I feel like otherwise the Mavs. Uh, no one probably really wants to play the Mavs because they have so much veteran experience. They could. I don't know. I just. I mean, when you look at the Mavs, if they're in the sixth, seventh, or eighth seed, I don't. They're not going to make the second round. No, really, it's you get to not. five. You get to five, but you're not making the second round. Yeah, uh, Tony Allen's playing about twenty four and a half minutes per game. I okay, guess that's so probably he's, right he's about. In, yeah, he's in the rotation. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Nobody who who ends up in the sixth, seventh, or eighth seed is going to move on unless some sort of an injury. It's going to be an injury. I, I don't see like the Spurs, Warriors, or the uh, Defender. I don't see them losing via some sort of fluke or 
you know, 2006 Warriors, like I mentioned before. Yeah. Some sort of team that gets really hot because the gap between them and the rest of the NBA, with the exception of the Cavs, maybe, the gap is just far too big. I, I will say, I don't think anyone on earth wants to see a Jazz Spurs playoff series. I feel like that would be the slowest, most boring series. It would be methodical. It would be a real grind. I don't want. I don't want any part of it. I really. I mean, the Spurs would probably just smack them. But I mean, if Duncan's out, like I wrote about this a while ago, I I pretty much wrote about why I don't trust any team outside of Golden State. Like, if the Spurs don't have Duncan, they don't have a center anymore. It's Boris Diaw or Lamarcus Aldridge, neither of whom are real centers. No. No. And you can you can do that against Golden State. You can go small, kinda. But I mean, I don't think you want to do that against Rudy Gobert. I don't think you want Lamarcus Aldridge in there against him, or even Dwight. Yeah, I don't know if the Spurs really want to go small against the Warriors, though. No, Um, I don't. I don't think anybody wants to go small against the Warriors because trying to go toe to toe with the Warriors playing small—it's—it is, you know, to coin a phrase, it's death. You know, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Warriors are the best small team that the NBA has ever seen. And they can flip that switch and put that lineup out whenever they feel like. And you don't want to tease them into it by putting a small lineup out there. I think there's one team that can do it. The Thunder. I think the Thunder's small lineup is good enough. They can put out Westbrook, Waiters, um... Oh, uh, like Morrow, Morrow. I, I said Morrow. Anthony Morrow, the, the three-point specialist. KD and Cantor, or not Cantor. I'm sorry, Ibaka. Ibaka, yeah. That 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 small lineup, I think, could give him problems, just because I mean, KD and Russ, good luck stopping them. Ibaka's a really good defender. I mean, I, that I could see it giving him problems. I I don't think they're gonna. I don't. I don't. I don't see anyone beating the Warriors this year. I think that would be interesting, but I think. I think kind of like the the Warriors roll out their small lineup in like short spurts. I think that's what the Thunder would have to do because yeah. I think that the, the Warriors would adapt and adjust too quickly to that lineup. Like when you when you run down that lineup, like it makes sense size wise, um, absolutely. But when you think about like how each position matches up, you know, like Clay against Dion Waiters. Uh, Andre Iguodala against Moro, like you know, the, the Warriors, even in the small configuration like that, have such a skill edge in in those wing spots that if the Thunder, like say the Thunder, come out and they miss a few baskets in a row, you know, they can't get it going. That's ten point lead for Golden State, just like that, yeah. almost inevitably, you know. And you might, you're probably right. That probably is the best small matchup that any of the playoff teams are going to be able to throw at the Warriors. And even there, like if they, if they are not hot and they can't hang with the Warriors like blow by blow, um, like the Warriors small lineup is just going to, just going to shred them and it's going to be quick. It's, I mean, it's just, it's almost sad. It's, I mean, I don't know what you try to do because if you try to run with them, they're going to outrun you. Like, the Kings ran with them for three quarters, and then the Warriors, like, it was like uh, watching a dog that had a squirrel in its mouth and just, like, got tired of it. It just shook it a few times. Like, the like Steph shook his head a few times, and Seth Curry just, like, slumped over. Like, okay, we lost now. Yeah. That's that didn't kind of the, work. 
yeah, that's kind of the vibe I got watching. Um, I watched pretty much just the second half of the Warriors Magic game today. Oh, and it was okay. close going into the fourth quarter, but I mean, all of a sudden it was eight points and Steph sat and it was like, you know, hopefully the hopefully the Magic can keep it close so that Steph comes back in and we get to see some more action from, uh, he ended up with 51 points tonight. Just ridiculous. He almost um, triple-doubled, too. He did, yeah. It was like 51, 7, and 6 or something. It would have been the first 50-point triple-double in ever, I think. It's just incredible. Or, like, since the 80s, actually, because I'm sure Wilt did it all the time because, you know. Probably, yeah. I almost discount everything from before the 80s yeah. as far as, like, the big ridiculous stats go. I mean, like, um, sure, 50-50 seasons are cool and everything, but... <laughs> Yeah, it's it's not it's not realistic. It's not realistic whatsoever. It's, the scary thing about me for the Warriors, and I love how this became a Warriors pod. I mean, that's how do you not talk about them? Like, it's really like, funny, isn't it? I mean, people would look back at us and think we're dumb if we sat here and while the Warriors are doing this, we're like, nope, we're not going to talk about it. Like, yeah, it Pistons and Bucks only. <laughs> yeah, Pistons, Bucks, and Trailblazers only. It's like it's going to come up. Yeah, they they have not lost to a, another contending team. That's the scare. Like they've like when when the when they're really taking it seriously, they thump whoever they're playing. Yeah, I saw something. They're like nineteen and one against teams with winning records. Yeah, and their point so, differential is better than their overall point differential. Their um, lo- losses. I almost said losers. <laughs> this this is time out with Ty after dark. By the way, it's, it's one a.m. Yeah, it's one a.m. in Milwaukee or in Oshkosh right now. Well, it's one a.m. in Milwaukee too. But anyway, their losses were to Denver. Portland, which is the above 500 team, I think, right? I think you're right, yeah. Yeah. Um, Milwaukee, Detroit, and Dallas. That's it. There's only five. So it's like none of those are contending teams. You look at it, they played Cleveland and won 132-98. to They played – I'm trying to look for the contenders here. Uh, the Clippers game was close, but it wasn't close until the very end. Yeah, they, beat, they, beat, they beat the Spurs by 30. Mm-hmm. They beat it's the like, Raptors by a pretty close margin. I think twice. I think both. I think they played the Raptors twice, and both of those were pretty close. Yeah. Maybe it was once. I know one time in Golden State was pretty close. The Raptors definitely kept it tight. Yeah, you are right. In Golden State, they won. The Warriors won by five. In Toronto, the Warriors won by three. Yeah. It was just like whenever they have to play a good team, like they played Oklahoma City, they won by eight. And I don't think that, I think that game too was, it was not that close until the end. They've beaten the Clippers three times already. It's like, whenever they have to play a real good team, they beat Cleveland twice, once by almost 40 points. Um, like when they, re- and that was in Cleveland too. When yeah. they, when they're trying, it's, I mean, I, I don't want to say they're not trying other times, but like when they're really up about a game, they, they just win every time so far. They really do. And they don't, they don't just win. They like, they crush souls, you know. Like, yeah. look at the Grizzlies. It took them that's the, one like the middle of December to get back over five hundred, I think, and they still have a negative point differential. And that's because the Warriors just unleashed pure holy hell on them. Oh my you know, god! Like, this was they lost by they they beat them by fifty. They yeah, were on like a seventy-two to twelve run or something, just un unfathomable. I forgot about this game. The final score was one hundred and nineteen to sixty-nine. <laughs> just unbelievable you know like when when the warriors beat you they don't just beat you they like eviscerate you like let's ask the cavaliers yeah and their former head coach david blatt 
what losing to the cat, what losing to the Warriors can do to you. You know, like the Clippers, I think, had like a month long swoon in December after the Warriors squeaked out a couple tight wins. Um, I'm sure there's other things. You know, the Clippers are not exactly the most stable group of individuals. Yeah, but like it really seemed like the uh, the stretch that they went through where they 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 drip, they dropped under 500 for a little while. And that coincided with losing two close games in short order to the Warriors. Like, really close games that the Clippers probably assumed that they had, you know, like a 10-point lead with five minutes to go against the Warriors, um, I think, in the second game. One of the two games that, that came in that span. Um, like, they break teams. It's incredible. Like, they, they're just, like, destroying souls. And it's amazing to watch. Yeah, it's it's something different. I, I think it's one of the reasons. Go ahead, sorry. No, no, go ahead. My, I think I'm it's one not... of the reasons that uh, the trade deadline was so quiet too. Like, yeah, very few teams. I think that we're in an era right now where most front offices are pretty savvy and intelligent, and they have, by and large, a pretty good idea. Not you know, Sacramento Kings notwithstanding, they have a pretty good idea of where they stand <laughs> in the picking order. Um, and, you know, no, no general manager, no front office is going to say we don't have a shot, but at the same time, like nobody, nobody mortgaged the future. No, nobody made a big move to try and move up and take a shot at the Warriors or the Spurs because like whether the NBA and at large likes it or not, like this is one of those two teams. It's their year barring some sort of disaster. Um, and like the Warriors are so good that nobody else in the NBA really even tried to improve themselves other than like some middling teams who are more or less setting themselves up for the future. Like the Blazers made a pretty good move in basically using cap space to get a draft pick. Um, and yeah, like, I like that trade for them. Yeah. The Pistons made a couple of moves, one of which actually counted and the other one didn't. Um, and yeah. that was, that was like really smart setting themselves up for the future. Um, but there's there were no win now moves, really not any. The the Washington trade. I mean, I know that Morris is signed to a pretty long deal. I still don't think they should have had to give up a first round pick to get him. Yeah, I agree. Um, I thought that was a pretty terrible trade on their part. But Phoenix won yeah. that one. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, they uh, back in December, Zach Lowe reported that they would have had to give up Archie Goodwin just to get someone to take Morris. And now you fast forward to the, the deadline day, and they get a real player in Chris Humphreys, a fake player in Dewan Blair, and a first round pick to, to just to trade him away. I think it was great on on uh, Ryan McDonough's part. Did you hear about the latest Bucks rumor from the deadline? Um. I heard that they were there were talks about picking up Dwight Howard. That was that. I already flipped out about that. Just today, we found out from oh, who was it? Now I can't remember. I'll open up the the but I'll, I'll look it up while I'm talking. I want to give credit for this. But basically, the rumor is that uh, Jason Kidd had a trade set up with New Orleans. That was Greg Monroe for Ryan Anderson and Omar Sheik. And it was Woj, actually. Or I don't know if Woj had the trade, but Woj was, then Woj reported that the Bucks ownership 
basically shut him down. Huh. Which is, thank God, if if yeah. the Bucks traded Greg Monroe for Omar Ashik and his horrible contract, I would die. I'd literally just fall over and die. Yeah, a horrible contract, and then Ryan Anderson is a free agent. And... I mean, I'm not really sure what Greg Monroe has done for you guys. I've kind of, to be honest, um, it's been, I've been super down on the box ever since the Brandon Knight trade. So, um, your organization hasn't exactly been my favorite. Yeah. Now that, you know, now that you have the Pistons cast off and, uh, and Greg Monroe as well, but it would make you guys look super bad if, like, you just shipped off your prime free agent. I mean, there's, you, like, I, I was saying that earlier, and there's there's a case to be made, but he really does not fit. At no, all. and uh, who thought he did in the first place? You know, like I know we weren't thinking. We got we got we got drunk. It was like we can get a person who's not like everyone's ninth option. Like it was really exciting because normally the Bucks like their big big free agency acquisition. The last one before Moose was OJ Mayo. It's like we yeah. got we got OJ Mayo and he comes to camp like thirty pounds overweight. <laughs> it's like oh this is starting off well. Yeah, that's probably the last one before Monroe, eh? And yeah. like the thing is, like it's already hard enough to get a uh, to get a premium free agent in Milwaukee. Like you got one, whether you like him or not. You know, you at least got to put some time in with the guy, or else nobody's going to sign as a free agent with Milwaukee, if they can't trust, they're going to be able to like, you know, keep their apartment there for more than six months. Yeah. I, I think part of it depends on how you trade them. Like, cause the, after the night trade, like kid came out and did like a little hit interview. He's like, Oh, we didn't think we had to give up much in this trade or whatever. And it's like, okay, you're just being kind of a dick at this point. Yeah. But, but I mean, I think like, over the summer, they traded away Jared Dudley and Zaza Pachulia uh, for essentially nothing. But they sent them both to teams with a good fit, and neither guy was upset about it. I think if you deal Monroe like back home, or it's a Portland or Boston, and you just go and say, "Look, you know, we like Greg Monroe. He's a very good player. He added a lot to our team, but he just didn't fit." And I mean, really, since he's been benched, like the team looks way better with Miles Plumley out there. Who is like Miles Plumley? Like didn't play at all in the first half of the season. Now he's the everyday starter, just because the, like the low post style of Greg Monroe, he just clogs the lane way too much for a team with Giannis and Jabari. Like they need that space, and he Certainly, takes it yeah. up. I, I think there there was a way to trade him, and it would have made sense because you can't pay a six man max money on a team that's what like nine games below five hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can see the logic there, and I think you're right. Like, but it would have to be done very tactfully because oh, yeah. it's not just consideration with this guy. There's, it's one of those situations where the the league as a whole, free agents, agents, and so forth, are going to be taking note. And you know, I think that trust is a big thing when it comes to going to a team, especially a team that is a bit off the beaten path like Milwaukee or, you know, Detroit for that matter. Yeah. Um, so it's important to make sure that your free agents know that they're going to be treated um, treated well and uh, respectfully. So I think I think you're right. There's there's a way to do that. Now, I don't know if Jason Kidd and the Bucks organization would necessarily do that. But Well, I mean they pretty much they pretty much lost like it was a lose lose 
because they didn't trade him, so they didn't get anything that would fit better, and they're still paying his massive salary to come off the bench. And now these latest rumors make it look like Kidd wanted to trade him, which is awkward because that's his coach and slash part-time general manager who maybe has final say on decisions, except not anymore because now the owners can shut him down. So that's got to be a little uncomfortable for good old Greg. Yeah. Yeah, it's... um. Loose lips definitely can sink ships. And yeah. I think the best organizations have a pretty tight cap on that. You know, like, um, just, it doesn't seem like you'd ever hear a buzz like that out of, say, San Antonio. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they were just talking about that on the, the latest vertical podcast with Woj. He had Sean Marks, who's the newest GM of the Nets. Before that, he was with San Antonio for a while. And Woj brought it up, like, I'm sure there were times when, like, guys in San Antonio were pissed, but, like, Tim Duncan handles that stuff. Like, the media doesn't hear about it. That's not the case in Milwaukee. No. No, you definitely need a, you need that guy, for sure. And, unfortunately, like, quote-unquote, that guy is really hard to find. There yeah. are not, not a lot of, uh, of like, pure professionals like Tim Duncan out there. No, but I'm trying to think of like the closest right now. Uh, Kawhi Leonard. Maybe Kawhi. Yeah. They're, they're all. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just like, come on. Like that's not even fair. I mean, John wall would have been on my list, but he just mouthed off big time about Washington. Shout out to yeah. John, John Wall, the last person I'd expect to put the nail in the coffin of KD to DC. <laughs> it's dead he'll, now. He'll never get a billboard in, in DC, Durant. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like he did. I don't know if he's going to like get a trade out of there this summer or what, but he pretty much is like, that was like, to me, it read like almost two KD. Like, yeah, it's not good here. You're not going to be a real superstar here. You know, you're barely in the all star game. And it's, I mean, Wow, that was rough. Yeah, that definitely didn't help their case by any means whatsoever. Um, but, I mean... I don't think they had a case at all, anyway. No, I think... I I don't even think they're, like, huge underdogs. I think they're, like, drawing dead. I think they had maybe not 0% chance, but really close. Um, I, I think... I think he's staying in Oklahoma City, for um, one thing. I think he's at least going to... He's going to do a one-year. Yeah, I think he's going to do a one-and-one maybe or just like a straight-up one-year. And it makes so much financial sense. And like everybody keeps saying, like even if he tears his Achilles or something next year, like he's still going to get a max somewhere. Yeah, well, if he can just do a a one-plus player option too. Exactly. I feel like the one-and-one is probably what he's going to do. Oh, yeah, it's the LeBron contract. Um, Well, plus the the reason... There's two reasons that the one-and-one makes a lot of sense. Besides the obvious, like, injury insurance. Uh, that way, he'll come off the books the same time as Russell Westbrook. Mm-hmm. So those two can decide what they want to do together. And they'll both be coming off in the biggest salary cap year in NBA history. Yep, when it makes the big jump from uh, the 90 to, was it, is it 108? 108, 108, yeah. Yeah, it's going up to 92. Like, 92 is the, re- the recently revised number this coming yeah. reagency period offseason. And then, yeah, it's jumping up to 108. And I forget if it's 30 or 35% that Durant would be eligible for, I think, with the uh, the 10-year max. 
Yeah, I think um, it would be 35, but I'd have to check. I think it's 35. And, of course, 35% of $108 million is uh, a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, like $40 million? Um, Well, I have a calculator app. Oh, no. Nope, 36.2 million, it looks like. 36.2, and he's eligible for a 7.5% increase on that each year if you sign him to a full bird rights deal. Yikes. Well, only OKC could give him that, though. If he left, he couldn't get that. But still, it's that's a lot of money. I was I did the math on if LeBron um, re-upped it to a full bird deal after in that year, and it was... Like well over, I think it was like two hundred and fifty million dollars. That's incredible. We're we're talking about these like like baseball style contracts as far as like total dollars, but the yeah. contracts are like half as long. You know. Like, yeah, and well, and the thing about it is in in uh, it's not it's going to be terrible because like baseball doesn't have a cap. The NBA does, and it's probably going to go down after that season. Like it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna stabilize a little bit. So if, like, if you sign, what would he be then? Like 32, 33 year old LeBron of that deal? I mean, you just, like, Cleveland just, I don't know what they're gonna do, because it's not gonna work for five years. No. Um, he's definitely gonna be a huge burden on the books after, like, what, probably, this is maybe like 2018, 2019, something like that. Um, I can see him being a burden on the books before that, but he's going to be like an astronomical, just an albatross by that point. Yeah, I mean he's he's still great right now, but uh, I just, Cleveland doesn't have what it takes. They they don't have the the atmosphere. They don't have the coaching now. That they have Ty Lue as their head coach for the moment, mm-hmm. and I I really just don't like their big three. I don't think it's a very good big three. I mean it's beating the rest of the East right now, sure. For now, because no one else in the East has a big three at all. If they did, I think they'd probably be better. Yeah, yeah. Um, there definitely isn't much fit there. I, I think that uh, I think that it's kind of a shame that the that the uh, the Cavs found themselves having to throw things together in the way they did, um, thanks to LeBron's, uh, I guess you could say, grandstanding. The redecision. Um, the redecision. Um, if you know, if if he could have made his decision clear to the Cavs a little sooner, they wouldn't have wasted everybody's time in hiring David Blatt, who I think is still going to be a really good NBA coach somewhere. Hopefully, yeah. um, I I don't think that the fault was his necessarily that things didn't work out there. I think that the fit was responsible, most certainly. Um, but. It, they could have they could have pieced the puzzle together better if they had a little more time, and and things fell into place the way they should have. You know, LeBron should have signed first, then they should have signed a coach who would be the guy that would take them to the next level, rather than you know David Blatt and Kyrie were supposed to be the thing. Like Kyrie was going to be Blatt's project, and Blatt and had a, too, but yeah, like. That was how that was supposed to go. Um, Blatt would have been a, a really good coach for that, I think. Um, but he wasn't a good coach for uh, a super alpha dog like 
LeBron, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that that was maybe not destined to fail from the start because they did make it to the finals and they did push the Warriors. But um, I think that if they had gone about things better, maybe they would have had a more more fully realized picture, I think. And whether that would have given them a better shot at the at a title, probably not because the Warriors still exist. Yeah. Um, but at least, I mean, if nothing else, the optics would have been better, you know, because they kind of look kind of kind of gross right now. They look like disjointed. Yeah, the way they handled the Blatt thing, um, and now they've got Lou in there, who is basically running, to the best of my knowledge, because I haven't watched a lot of Cavs games this year. Um, but people who know more than I do have, you know, I've I've heard from those voices that basically Lou is now running Blatt's offense, and because the Cavs like Lou, they will actually run Lou's offense, which is For Blatt's now. offense. For now, and yeah, so like I mean, essentially, this team has been in a, a form of mutiny since literally day one. And that bothers me. I mean, I know that I know that the head coach doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily the end all be all and that um the authority structure in the NBA is not militaristic, you know, like um but I mean at the same time do what your coach says. Yeah. <laughs> Just do what your coach says. Especially when he's a good coach. I, it amazes me they couldn't have gotten like Monty Williams or like a real coach in there. Like uh, right now, I mean, I know he's on the Thunder staff at the moment, but it's some of the coaches we have coaching in the NBA right now as head coaches. It's just like, like how how is Kurt Rambis a head coach? Yeah, like, it doesn't make any sense. And how was Derek Fisher a head coach before him? Like there yeah. are there are some like elite head coaches in the NBA. I'd say there's maybe six or seven. Yeah, I was thinking I was thinking six too. Yeah, but like once you get past that, like. There are some just quite poor head coaches. And Tibbs is on the couch. Yeah. Somebody get Tibbs. He's such a good coach. It's ridiculous. He really is. Um, I would love to see him go to the Warriors. I think, or not the, that's just the first name that pops my head, pops out of my head when I, uh, when I mention a team name. I would love to see him go to the Rockets, the Houston Rockets. I think that'd be interesting. And I think that if that team actually is capable of listening to a head coach, and not just moping in the corner while James Harden hogs the ball. Yeah. Um, James Harden. I I do really like James Harden. So that was semi tongue in cheek, but at the same time, I think there's some truth to it. Anyway, oh, yeah. I think I mean, he, if, he has to. Yeah, he does because that team is a mess, and I think that he bears some of the responsibility for that. But he's still awesome. Um, I think that if that team is capable of listening to a coach, I think that Tibbs. Would be uh, would be the, the guy to lead them back from the absolute depths that they're in right now, tonight notwithstanding. Yeah, they they need somebody. They they clearly can't run with JB Bickerstaff for too no. long. I don't I don't think. I mean, he's young, but he's not ready for the Rockets. That's for sure. No, no. I don't know. Rockets. I don't know. How, Luke Walton's probably going to be a head coach next year. I don't really know how I feel about that. Yeah. I think I don't think he's going to be in a hurry to depart, though. I think that like if the right offer comes along, I think he'll jump on it. Like he might take the next job because, from the best of my knowledge, him and uh, Phil Jackson have a pretty good relationship, and a lot of a lot of uh, Walton's philosophies kind of stem from Jackson-esque triangle stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think that might be a thing. Maybe the Lakers, but I don't think that he would like just jump ship. At the set of the first 
head coaching offer. I think he's got a pretty uh, pretty sweet spot right now, and he can just kind of wait for wait for the perfect job. Yeah, it's I don't know. I mean, it's it's so complicated because right now there's seriously like what like six, we said there's six or seven like top coaches. There's probably six or seven guys who need to get replaced this summer too. Yeah, at least I'm I mean, trying to think how many coaches have been fired already. It's five or so, five or six maybe. I'm just going down the list right now of teams who will probably need a new coach in the summer. The Rockets, mm-hmm. the the Kings, because George Carl is just not capable of coaching teams anymore. Nope. He he entered his press conference and he played Marco Bellinelli, who's been awful lately. Didn't make a shot in this game. I think it was last night. First words in his press conference. I don't have to explain my rotations to you. <laughs> yeah, that's, very going, defensive. that's going well. That's going well. <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll put them in that category. Timberwolves. Uh, yep. Suns. Yeah. Lakers. Yeah. I think they're finally ready to move on. They should, but I I don't know. I don't know if I trust them to make good decisions. I don't know. It's certainly possible that they move on. Yeah, I want them Where, to. We're at five, just in the West. Yeah. You come to the East, you got do to do. I have to get down farther now. The Nets, for sure. The the Nets, the Wizards, and the Knicks. So that's eight. That's if Jason Kidd doesn't get on ownership's bad side too many more times, Mm -hmm. which is certainly possible based on literally every basketball situation he's ever exited in his life. Yeah, he wears his welcome out really quick. He is Scott Skiles-esque. Oh, the Magic might need a new guy. I was going to say Skiles, maybe. I don't know if they'd give up on a guy after one season. After the, They gave Jacques Vaughn, what, three years, four years? Did they maybe give him that long? long? Maybe it wasn't that long. No, just... I think no, he did get it. I think he got at least two. I, I, I always get him confused with the guy who replaced him. Whose name I can't remember right now, last season. But no, he was, yeah, he was the head coach. You're right. Yeah. Um, I could see one of the Bulls, well, I guess pretty much just the Bulls maybe going in a new direction, which maybe. isn't fair because of the injuries. But, I mean, it is fair because, like, D. Rose should not be getting more shots than Jimmy Butler, and that's what was been happening on that team. Yeah. I don't know if the Bulls – I think the Bulls might be too cheap to fire a coach so early yeah, that's, in contract, that's though. Yeah, that's true. I was going to cite that their, their front office is that shaky, but you're right. They are pretty cheap as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's – what are we at? Like ten teams? Maybe we can take the Bulls off that list, but we're still around. Like we're at at least eight or nine. Yeah, and with already five or six head well, coaches. Oh, you know, you can probably add another one. I don't think Ty lose their long term head coach in Cleveland. Maybe, maybe, but I it's, mean, if they, I don't know. Uh, does LeBron even need get a real coach? Like, would I, I don't think LeBron could coexist with Tibbs. No, that would never happen. I think. That maybe LeBron would prefer to have sort of a uh, quasi coach, you know. Like, I, th- I think he would prefer it, but it's best for him if he has a real coach, and he he has to listen. He he was at his best under Eric Spolstra, who is by no means uh, a stand-in coach. Correct, he definitely was. But maybe he, I mean, maybe that's one of the reasons he jumped too. Like maybe he yeah. he wanted like his own. He wanted to run his ship. Because I think he was he was pretty comfortable under Mike Brown. Yeah. So and LeBron LeBron's legacy is gonna be such a weird thing. It really is. Especially if he doesn't win another title. 
which unless yeah. something happens to Steph Curry, he <laughs> probably won't. Especially, especially if he leaves Cleveland again. Yeah, can you imagine? I can. I mean, he, he said earlier in the season he'll do it if he thinks it's the right business decision. Yeah, I, I recall seeing that, and I just... I mean, he is definitely a king now of maintaining leverage. Yeah. Like, he has his foot on the throat of that organization, most certainly. Dan Gilbert. <laughs> um, but, I mean, man, imagine the backlash. Oh, it's... I'm ready for it because I, I really do think it's possible. But, I mean, if they lose in, like, the, imagine if somehow they lost in the second round this year. Just incredible. Or even even the conference finals. Like, yeah. I don't I don't know who could really take them out that they might see in the second round. But Well, really, round one against the Pistons wouldn't be easy for them. The Pistons could do could maybe do some damage. They could really jump up and bite somebody, especially because we don't really know what the Pistons are right now after the trade deadline. Like No. And with the depth issues they have, they could easily miss the playoffs if they can't get like their, their depth issues resolved. Um That's why Stanley it Jones. really sucks. It really sucks they lost Demo and, and Thornton. Yeah. In a way I was kinda of relieved that it didn't go through because if if the Pistons do fall apart and you know, miss the playoffs and everything and lose that draft pick. Um, I, you know, results of the, the, uh, the physical notwithstanding, even if he got a passing grade from, from the doctors and everything, I would still have concerns about Demo's back. They say that, um, I I think it was, uh, Ion basketball, um, Zach Harper's podcast. I think that they were mentioning that, uh, players, with uh, the herniated disc, like Moninus had, uh, have a seventy-five percent chance of uh, of future recurring issues. Ooh. And so, even if he's good today, like what's he going to be in a year, two years? And it's going to be time to pony up some real cash in some years for Moninus in the off season. So, I kind of my first impression was like, great trade. I, you know, I've always liked my Moninus. Um, so having him come over and then like uh, sort of a wild card shooter off the bench in Thornton, I thought was pretty cool. But at the same time, when that trade got uh, got voided, I kind of breathed a sigh of relief because I wasn't ready to give up a draft pick for all that uncertainty. And um, after getting Tobias Harris for basically expiring contracts, I was kind of happy with just that. That was insane. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was a little bit disappointed when they ended up shipping out a first round draft pick for Monyunis and Thornton because I just took so much pleasure in the fact that the Pistons pulled that deal off with the magic without giving up draft pick. And then I kind of felt like, you know, it was all out the window when they gave up the pick. So um, all in all, I kind of felt okay about how it ended up going down. Yeah. Demo definitely is a scary, scary question mark. Yeah. If he's healthy, I love that trade. To yeah. no end, oh, yeah. but Definitely. I I fear that he either is not healthy or never will be healthy, and in which case, you know that's that's a hell of a price to pay for a guy who's never going to be a hundred percent. Yeah, we're just about to wrap up. I have one more situation here. Let's say you are what is Neil Olshay, the GM of the uh, Portland Trailblazers. Mm-hmm. And I am John Hammond, and in this imaginary scenario world, I'm the only—I I don't have to worry about Jason Kidd. 
I am the Bucks GM and that I don't have to worry about that whole other aspect of this. How many Portland craft beers do I have to give you in order to make you give me CJ McCollum for Greg Monroe? Ooh. Uh, a lot? A, a lot. Um, a whole lot. I like CJ a lot. And I've had my fill of Greg Monroe. <laughs> Yeah, because I see, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm Olshay, but one could say that I've been a Pistons fan all my life as well, as yeah. Olshay. So I don't, I don't know if craft beer is going to get it done. What if I throw in a, a vintage Jared Bayless who may or may not be hurt right now? I love and the also, also expiring. Well, what about Damian Inglis? He's the Blazers something. just don't need that much. They've got plenty of cap space. And I mean, my favorite thing about Jared Bayless is listening to him on podcasts. Yeah. I don't need him on my team for that. Wait, are you thinking of Jared? Are you thinking of Jared Dudley? Son of a gun. Yes, I am. No, this never is mind. Jared Bayless. He doesn't need mind, podcasts. He's just yeah. a, a point guard guy. Yeah. It is. It is. TWT after dark after all. Yeah, might be this happens. There, but it's 2.30 here. Okay, yeah, so this happens. What if I throw in a pair of top 55 protected second round picks? Huh. They're literally meaningless, but hey, you can put them on your real GM future drafts detailed page. I could, and I could flip them to the Sixers for um, a couple hundred you bucks could- probably. Yeah, I mean, you could give away Joel Anthony for that. That's right. And with that couple hundred bucks, I could just buy some craft beer. I guess, yeah. So you can get more craft beer. Now take Greg Monroe. Give me CJ McCollum now. Can't do it. No deal. I I don't don't think so. That was like my dream trade. That was my dream trade is somehow, without trading away any of the young big three, the Bucks got CJ McCollum for Greg Monroe. Those top fifty-five protected second rounders almost got me, but unfortunately, yeah, they're pretty I'm nice. I am not Sam Hinkie. They're pretty nice, aren't they? They're they're tempting. They're literally pointless. I mean, it's those trades. I got myself started. I can't blame you, but oh, those <laughs> trades were so bad, so so bad. They were um, they were something that Stan Van Gundy might be able to pull off with the Orlando Magic. Let's just say that. Oh God, yeah, I don't. I don't know why. I guess the Magic just still like him a lot for that deal. They were like, we're sorry about what happened before. Here's a really good trade. Uh, yeah, honestly, I think they felt so bad. <laughs> they they were like, you know, we were real dicks to you. Um, we made the wrong decision. We're sorry. We're not crazy about this 23-year-old future star. You can have him for nothing, if that's cool. The Stan Van was like, yeah, we'll do that. I, I guess they felt bad about um, Cleveland, too, for some reason, because they pretty much handed them Channing Fry. <laughs> they really did. They had the worst deadline of any team, I think. I don't think it was that close. Yeah, they. I, I think that you would kind of have to, to go out of your way to have accomplished as little as they did. I mean, like, so now they've got, I think I heard something along the lines of, like, 55 or $60 million of cap space coming up in the... Uh, the, this coming off season, they're so convinced they can get Al Horford for some reason. Yeah, that seems something along those lines seems to be like the end game. And then, like 
you know, what else do you do with that cap space that you have I, like gone so far out of your way to to utilize, like or to to acquire? Um, I mean, so now they're going to get really lucky to get a whole bunch of bloated contracts for role players yeah. to go along with Al Horford. Like, I could, I think they're gonna they're gonna steal a sort of big name guy, but the deal they sign him to is going to be awful. Like, they're my number. My number two candidate for paying Mike Conley way too much right after the Knicks. Yeah. Yeah, I think that they're going to max somebody who shouldn't get maxed. And the, the, like the, the Thunder the thunder strategy. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe uh, maybe they'll use it on Dwight Howard. Oh. Because somebody's going to max him, and he shouldn't be maxed. He's a dinosaur. It's, it's He's too old. He's literally always hurt. He's just like... Playing hurt is just like a daily reality for Dwight Howard now. Yeah, it is. And it's too bad because he is a warrior, not an he actual is. warrior. I'm not doing he that wishes. thing I was doing before. but He wishes. <laughs> yeah. Um, in the form of an actual, you know, soldier, battling type warrior, not his basketball leg was, warrior. His leg was torn in the playoffs, all playoffs, and he still did pretty well. And yeah, he played I, through a, a torn meniscus, I believe it was. Yeah, I, I respect the hell out of him, but he doesn't. Yeah. I, I don't want my team paying him twenty million dollars a year. No, absolutely not. And it's going to be more than that too. Yeah, it will be. He's opting out of a contract worth, uh, I think, twenty-three million, and he's probably going to command the ten-year, ten-year max as well. And so, I mean, we just talked about that being about thirty-five percent. So, thirty million dollars over four years, or hundred and thirty forty million dollars over four years. No, thank you. No way. Since since um, we're on TWT after dark, when you said ten year max, for some reason I thought you meant like some team was going to sign him to a ten year deal <laughs> worth like four hundred million. And I was sitting there like blinking, like I mean, there's some dumb teams, but like I don't even think the Nets would sign him till he's forty. No, no. I mean, that's a contract that can only happen in baseball. I think that's the only sport that uh, the teams can do that sort of bizarre thing. But there's just no rules, is what I learned. Like you can just do whatever. If you don't mind paying a luxury tax, I don't know how punitive it is. Um, but if you don't mind paying a luxury tax, then you can spend it literally as much money as you want. Like I think the uh, was it the Dodgers had last year had like an almost three hundred million dollar salary, or. Uh, yeah, if their salary is totaled at $300 million. They'll, they'll sign guys who have never even played in America to those deals. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, some of them do turn out pretty well, though. Cespedes, Jonas Cespedes, who yeah. I wanted so badly on the Tigers when uh, when he came out from Cuba. And he went, I think he went to Boston. Um, and then the Tigers got him before last season. And I was so happy to have him in a Tigers uniform. And then they traded him, and he was a big part in a uh, World Series contender. And it broke my heart. And I wanted him back, and they're not getting him back. And some of those Cubans are uh, are worth the gigantic dollars. Yeah, I am a fan of the Seventy Sixers of the MLB right now. The Brewers pretty much were just like, you know what? Yeah, we're not winning anything. Just sell everybody. <laughs> so tank, I mean, it's tank, like, tank. I get it. I mean, it's nice. Like this summer, I can go to games for like a dollar. And get in and like, like tailgate and stuff. And they're gonna lose, but I'm I'm not going and expecting them to win. So if they do win, it's like yay. If they lose, it's like whatever. So I can I can live with that. It's what I'm used to. Yep, and that's actually something I kind of liked about when the Tigers were really bad. Like I could decide at six thirty 
that I would like to go pay eight bucks for a ticket at the box office if I didn't feel like doing StubHub, and then just march that thing right down to the, to, you know, yeah, I'm gonna say the sideline, the thing, really close to the field. You know, you know what I'm trying to yeah. say. The, the the third base line or the the line or base whatever. lines, yeah, exactly. And that was a really nice thing about having a bad team. Um, the only time you couldn't do that was when the Yankees were in town. No, yeah, and it's like the it's like the Lakers, even though they're bad, it still costs a bunch. Yeah, exactly. Especially in Kobe's farewell tour. But oh, yeah. you know, there's there's a there's a give and a take. Now it's it's nice to have a good baseball team to watch and everything. But um, I'm not trying to go to every game. I'm probably going to go to fewer games when they're good than they are when they're bad because I'd rather spend eight dollars than forty bucks on a ticket. Exactly. We agree on this. That we do. I think we covered a lot of stuff. Do you have anything else you'd like to touch on, quick? Um, at the moment, I don't believe so. I think we have covered just about every relevant topic in the NBA on this Milwaukee Block Milwaukee Bucks podcast. Yeah, that happens from time. I mean. People know what they're getting into at this point. I think so. I like that we I've, have this I've, sort of general NBA kind of thing going when we get on here. I mean, I've talked about Ariana Grande. I've talked about Parks and Rec on here. Like, it, the people know they they they're not expecting what we do at winning six here. Yeah, I I think that um, listening to you and George talk about music was one of my favorite uh, time with Ty stretches and. You know, that's, that was a good one too. Yeah, I I enjoy the uh, general topics, topics whether it's uh, whether it's basketball or music or Ariana Grande is fine too. <laughs> Ariana's, I'm still waiting for Ariana and Giannis to get together, but that's a that's a whole other story. It can Thank happen. You. It could. I, I I could totally see it. I'm, if it happens, I get that's that's my biggest win ever. Is calling that trademark it ASAP. Trademark it, Ariana's. It's a Thai winish own thing. There you go. Thank you, Joey Burbs, for doing the intro and outro music to this podcast. Uh, I can tell you, here's a scoop. Joey's working on new material right now. He Facebook messages me about it at 2 a.m. all the time. <laughs> Love you, Joey. Never stop Facebook messaging me, even though normally I'm asleep. I'll answer him in the morning. Um, check out his music at joeyburbs.com. I don't have Duncan's Twitter at memorized, so I'm going to need him to help me out with that. It is D underscore Smith seven seven. See, I should I should be able to remember that. Follow him. Follow Duncan on Twitter. Go check out his and my stuff at hoopshabit.com. Check out all our great podcasts at behindthebucks.com and our other articles too if you like reading. Uh, thanks again, Duncan, for coming on. Absolute pleasure. Anytime. I'll, uh, how about let's just do another one right after this one. Hey, we've been talking about a mega me- mega cast. I can yeah. hardly get the words out of my mouth. I think this is the perfect time to do another one. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the perfect time for that. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great week. Da, 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 da.